that Jim is entitled The House That God Built. And last week he pulled up Bill Ashley and uh, had him, you know, just basically talk about the idea of a blueprint. You know, it's like you get to see everything from foundation up through, you know, the framing and the electrical and plumbing and all the different aspects that go into building a building. And obviously the idea is that in the same way that God, uh, or that an architect would draw a building, God has a plan for a building called the church. And what does it look like? And so I want to start with the idea uh, that we receive in Genesis when God uh, finished all of his creation. He's sitting back, he's taking a look at it all, and he says it was very good. Yeah, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. What is he seeing when, he, when he's stepping back from all of his labors and says, you know, this is good. And I feel like part of what I'm driving at today is the perspective that we bring to the table is going to affect how we understand what it is that the Lord is about. And so in this light, you know, it's like we, we say, well, if he was looking at a creation, he probably was looking at the mountains and the seas and all the cool things that he built, fish and planes. And, no, he didn't build planes. We did that. Birds, um, you know, the universe, all the kind of stuff. You know, it's like, wow, look at all that. Look what I did. But I don't think that's the right perspective. That's our perspective. We see that from, you know, it's a very human thing to think that God would look at it that way. But as we go through Ephesians, we have this passage here where he says, Paul, Paul talks about how he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So the idea is that when God was looking at it as good, he was seeing the end from the beginning. Like he had established the whole thing. He's the grand architect. He has his plans. He's got everything. He's got it all figured out. There isn't anything that is surprising to him. And in the end, what is good is us united with him through Christ, in union with him. And that should be somewhat of a comfort because from the beginning, before he even put the shovel in the ground, he had it all drawn out. And part of what is entailed in those blueprints is us in him through Christ. That should be a comfort. And now when we think about that, we're like, huh, well, if I'm part of that blueprint, what is my role? What do, what do, what do I do? What does it look like? And so <clears throat> what I want to talk about today is how the idea of God's church, it serves two very interesting things that are that's very mysterious. One is that the church serves as a lens through which the world at large can see God well. They can see what it is that he's about. And the second thing is that as we participate in the church building, we become formed in the way of Christ. We become closer and closer to being what it means to be truly human. 
So we're going to explore these ideas. And to start with, I wanted to begin with this idea of honor to serve. Like the idea of serving a king is so foreign to us. You know, we, uh, we kind of, uh, as Americans, you know, we threw off the, the monarchy and we established the republic. And, and so for us to think of, of bowing down to some figurehead is not very, it's not something that comes very intuitively to us. It's, it seems very foreign. And um, in the, the wake of this pandemic, something that I have felt, and maybe you guys can relate with me, is I feel like there's, there's some request that's being made of me to bow, to bow to uh, public health or to bow to, you know, um, whatever it may be. But there's some pressure where I'm like, oh, and I feel some sense of resistance and like I get frustrated with it. And, and, I'm, and I'm watching this play out and I'm trying to be patient and I'm watching going, Lord, I don't understand what's going on in these times, but I'm, I'm thankful for this experience because it's, it's highlighting these things for me. Like it's raised the question in my heart, who do I bow down to? Is there a person other than maybe me that I, you know, that I would bend the knee? And it's a, it's a good question to ask because I want to know if I'm standing on good ground, you know, if my heart's in the right place, if, if I'm ready to, to put myself at the service of a higher authority. And so with that, I want to just, I want to show a small clip from the Downton Abbey film because it, it like harkens back to this idea of bowing down to a king. So, with that. Here they come now. Yes, our disposition towards bowing the knee is complicated. Um, and part of that is a result of, you know, in our culture today, we're looking around, we have all of these institutions in our culture, and they all seem to be somehow uh, failing us, or they're suspicious, or they're crumbling. And uh, <clears throat> the elders uh, are going through this book, A Time to Build, by Yuval Levine. And uh, he makes this comment. I'm just going to read a short excerpt from his book here. It says, Looked at individually, each of these institutional breakdowns 
has the appearance of a failure of responsibility. Considered together, these failures must be seen as something more, a perverse distortion of what institutional responsibility means. As a practical matter, this has meant that the people atop one core institution after another, from our political and economic elites to university administrators, to people with real power in the business and entertainment world, to too many religious leaders have failed those who, many, uh, who count on them and let our society down. Our culture has responded to these disappointments with understandable anger and resentment. The populism of this moment in our politics is fundamentally antinomian, mistrustful of authority, and cynical about all claims to integrity. So we're looking around our landscape and we see the abuses of power, we see the hypocrisy, we see the failure of these institutions and it leaves us angry and resentful and mistrustful and suspicious, resisting. And yet, I feel like part of what we need to do and part of what we're going to be talking about is we need to recast a vision for what it means to be the church. And so, as a fun little experiment, I want to read a very familiar parable and see if you guys share my sentiments with this story. So, this is the parable of the bags of gold. Again, it, being the kingdom of God, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your gold in the ground. So here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put 
my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I have read this parable I don't know how many times. And I have always assigned attributes to the master. And I'm assuming that if you guys have read this parable, you too have a kind of a, a list of you know, attributes that you could pin to this master. He's probably, you know, he's cold, maybe calculating. You know, he's very exacting of his servants, you know, maybe harsh, right? How many of you share that idea with me? Anyone? Yeah, okay, I got a couple of you guys. This is brand new to me. I was reading this, and I, and I thought, well, now, hang on a minute. The only reason that I think that is because I am looking at the master through the perspective of the wicked servant. That's the only time in the parable where we get the description of the master as being, you know, I knew you were a hard man sowing where you didn't, you know, that kind of thing. I'm like, huh. Well, now, what happens if we step back a second and we take a look at the other two, you know, the one who got the five bags, what if his perspective was different of who the master was? What if his perspective was, oh, I got five bags of gold. I can't, this is going to be so much fun. I can't wait to jump in full force. This is going to be so cool. And when he comes back, Master, look what I did. You gave me five bags. I got ten. You know, check out what I did. And the master's so excited. He's like, well done. I'm going to give you more than that because you've shown yourself faithful. Come and enjoy my happiness. Kind of changes the picture of the master. Now, let's say you have this, this wicked and lazy servant. He doesn't see the master the same way. He sees him cold and calculating. It's like, man, if I step out of line, he is going to smack me. How many people do you think that you know would share that kind of opinion of the Lord of the universe? He's cold. He's distant. He's calculating. He's going to, you know, if you step out of line, watch out. I can tell you, the majority of the people that I spend a lot of my time with were raised in the church and now they want nothing to do with the church because that is part of their picture. It's part of this, their, their understanding, the lens through which they see the Lord is faulty. It gives them a distorted picture of who the Lord is. And so part of what we need to do is reimagine who the Lord is. Who do we serve? Do we serve a God who is exacting and cold and calculating and harsh? If that's your disposition of your heart, I would invite you to begin reconsidering. There's a story, I love this story. There's a, a philosopher 
theologian that I uh, was reading when I was in seminary. And he always was fascinated by this passage out of Philippians that reads, Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, in earth, and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And he said, when he was a younger man, he's like, I, I always saw this passage as one of like a triumphal entry of some conqueror. And the idea of every knee bowing was something that happened under the authority and the power of this incoming king, this conqueror. But I don't see it that way anymore. As I've aged, I now see it as when people encounter love incarnate, when they recognize that the person who fashioned them is the God of the universe and is loving and merciful and kind, the knee-jerk reaction will be one of worship. We will have no other option but to fall in worship because that's the only appropriate response. It's not one of power and authority. It's one of this is the best that I can do to show my gratitude. You are the only one who is worthy of worship. And it's going to, I'm fully convinced that there will be a day when I get to see him face to face like that. And that will be the response because it will be something that, I mean, I've had intimations of the Lord's love in my heart. And it's so good. It's like he just takes your breath away. And if to see it in full force and to recognize that, oh my gosh, this is what I've been, you, this, that's what I've been looking for this whole time. Every fiber of my being has been knit together by you. And here you are. And it'll be just an automatic response of worship. And the idea of reimagining that and moving into that idea of the Lord, I feel like Paul, you know, he shares this idea. And we have a couple of passages out of Ephesians, which I'm sure we'll jump into more down the road. But out of Ephesians 1, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I pray that they may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And in another place he says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Because when we understand the Lord rightly, it's going to totally change the way we approach the idea of serving him and honoring him. It's an honor. It's an honor to serve the Lord. So we talk about 
today, and we're looking at the institutions and how they're failing. I mean, we look all over the map. We have all of these institutions, like we have marriage, family, church, medical institutions, the government, law enforcement, education. And everywhere we look, they are in trouble. And now is the time to build because when things are, when these institutions start to fail, they, they, they serve as, as roots that bind the soil to the ground so that when the storms come, the soil, the soil stays in place. But when they're failing and all of a sudden that ground starts shifting, people are looking for some place that's solid. You know, we look for the, the bedrock or we look for the higher ground. And so I feel like now is the time. Let's re-envision what does it mean to serve the Lord and let's put our hands to the plow. Let's jump in and start building the church after his plan. But we need to know what that is. We need to know what it looks like. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Re-envisioning. And it starts with understanding the character of the Lord. Because if we have that muddled in our brain, the way it plays out is uh, it would be like me hiring someone to help me build a house, and he's, he doesn't understand how to build the house that I drew. And so he keeps doing things, you know, he's like putting windows where they don't belong or, you know, building stairs that don't work. It'd be like, you know, you're a very frustrating employee. I should fire you. But I'm going to give you a second chance. All right. Now look at this blueprint. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> so as we, as we consider this, there's this twofold thing that happens. It's like we, we, we look at the character of the Lord. We look at the type of building that he wants to build. And the minute that we start working, the minute we take a step towards it, we go, oh, I begin to be shaped. The active movement of me into the church, it's a necessary step because the Lord wants us to initiate into the project. Be like, okay, you've given me a bag of gold. I may have screwed everything up until this point in my life, but you've given me a bag of gold and I'm ready. What can I do? That step is important because with that, that's when the Lord says, excellent. And I can start working with that. And he starts to mold our character and shape us in the image of Christ. But then as we do that in concert, we become the church. And through that, the world that we live in, Summit County, wherever you live, people will be looking and they say, huh, that looks like a good building. The structure of that looks solid. It's a puzzle. And, and, and it's, and it's going to be a place that is solid. And so if you're interested in reclaiming the institution of marriage, ask the Lord, Father, what does it mean to be a good husband? Help me understand that. What does it mean to be a good wife? I'm not sure I understand it well. Or the family. Father, what does it mean to be a father or a good mother? How can we do this well? Or wherever the Lord has placed you in whatever trade that you find yourself in. How can I be a good finance manager? How can I be a good, uh, you know, painter? How can I, whatever it is that you've got. Lord, how do I do this well? Give me a vision for what you have. 
So we move through these things, and in our, in our, in our current day, because of the instability of all these things, we have these notions of, like, truth. You hear the words, the buzzwords. It's like truth, uh, identity, race, equality, uh, you know, all these things, love, uh, integrity, righteousness. And what we have done effectively is we have dislocated these words from the source. We have, we have removed them from the vine. And the process of revisioning re-envisioning what the Lord is and what he's about is to take these concepts that we all know intuitively, they're built into the fabric of who we are, and it's plugging them back into the source. Because it's only when we, when we derive them from the bedrock of the personality that created the universe, when we derive them from the Lord, that's the only place where they make sense. If we try to handle them without that that point of reference, we're going to scatter all over the map and we're going to beat each other up with them. So as we move into this idea of building the church, we're going to be talking about the church as a place of blessing, a place of thanksgiving, of living, of reconciliation of wisdom, of glory, unity, kindness, love, submission, relationship, protection. All of these words are good words. If we build a building like that, it's going to be so attractive. And it all starts with understanding who the Lord is and who he's made us to be. And in a moment, we're going to celebrate, you know, the Lord's Supper. And even at the very heart of this celebration, like when the Lord sat with his disciples and he said, this is my body, and he took a piece of bread, and this is the cup, this is my blood poured out for you. Even there, those elements, they didn't arrive there without our ingenuity. Someone had to take the grain and grind it and make the bread. Someone had to take the grape and crush it and run the, the juice through the fermentation process to make the wine. It's like at the very core, Jesus is inviting us to take a step into what it is that he's about in building. And so when we come up today to do this, I want you to think, Lord, this is, this is good. What you have in mind is good, and I want to be a part of it. Open my eyes, Lord to see your goodness. So we're going to have the, uh, the ushers come down, and we're taking uh, two...